Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast, Paul Beers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. Really excited about our guest today, David Gelbach with Setco. He's technical sales manager in Florida and the Caribbean and really has his finger on the pulse in the waterproofing business. Welcome, Dave. Nice to be here, Paul. Appreciate the invite. So before we get into talking about waterproofing, uh, maybe you could just share a little bit of your background experience with the audience. Sure, sure. I've got a, uh, a fairly diverse background in the construction industry, roughly 25 years total in the architectural and waterproofing slash roofing industry. I started out, I graduated from college with a degree in architecture and became a licensed architect in 1996 and then kind of transitioned into becoming a manufacturer sales rep from there. I've worked with deck coatings, urethane and silicone sealants, anything that's related to a building envelope, and moisture intrusion, I've kind of been involved with. I worked for a major waterproofing company from 2000 to 2008, and then from 2008 to 2012, I kind of bounced around as an independent consultant, dabbled in some concrete admixtures and moisture issues related to flooring, and then I started with Setco in 2012. So I've been there for about four years, a little over four years now. Great. And for those who aren't familiar, I'm sure many are, could you tell a little bit about Setco, who they are and what they do? Sure, sure. Setco is a global international company, and I am underneath the construction technologies division uh, that is owned by Mineral Tech Incorporated. And the construction technologies consists of environmental sciences, uh, drilling and a tunnel division, and then where I sit is the building products division, and that is uh, focusing on subgrade waterproofing with the use of active bentonite and polymer type systems. Let's talk a little bit about what is bentonite. Uh, bentonite is a it's a natural clay. It is mined out of the earth and it is processed. And I guess the best or simplest analogy would be it's kind of like kitty litter when moisture comes in contact with bentonite, it swells and hydrates and expands. And that's basically the, the simplistic technology behind it. So when you use it in a below-grade application, it's basically put in place, and then as it gets wet, it expands and sort of, uh, I guess, you know, seals and fills voids and whatnot? Exactly, exactly. And a, a bentonite sheet, for example, goes on the wall, either prior to pouring the concrete, which would be blindside construction, or it gets applied to the wall after the concrete is poured, and then it always has to be under compaction, either earth or, for a horizontal condition, another topping slab. So it's always under compaction and most used in the subgrade market. I know with our business, GCI consultants, we see, I think, being used more and more 
where they're trying to maximize the use of, of the property and obviously basements and garages and things like that probably don't make them a lot of money you know the, the dwelling spaces so if they can put them at or below grade that I, I think that seems to really help their what they're trying to do so it seems like there's a lot of those type of applications these days are, are you seeing that yeah the more you get into a urban area such as downtown Miami or downtown Jacksonville where buildings are right on top of each other you end up producing that building like you said with a subgrade garage for parking and it becomes a property line condition where you're doing a blindside application with either sheet piles or wood lagging or, or some sort of system similar to that. So SETCO has a, their footprint extends throughout the U.S. and beyond, is that right? Correct, yeah. There's a, uh, there's a European division as well as North American division and we also have a South American division that's starting up strongly as well. So I would imagine that your turf, we'll call it, or your territory is probably one of the bigger challenges given the water table is so close to the surface in, in Florida as compared to some other areas where it's probably not. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely true. And that is the case in Florida. We got three, practically the whole perimeter of Florida, except for the panhandle is waterfront. And the state as a whole is relatively flat, except for a couple of areas here and there. But most of Florida, you're right, within three feet or thereabouts. So what's your philosophy with waterproofing a structure? Well, I think the first thing is to ask a lot of questions and understand what the individual needs are of the project. And that comes from, obviously, are we in the water table? Do we have a hydrostatic condition? Also, what the owner is looking for. Are they looking to hold on to the building after they build it for 10 or 15 years or more? Or are they looking to just build it quickly and cheaply and then go ahead and sell it? Because that will kind of drive the discussion of what type of waterproofing systems they want, how long they want the warranty, what type of warranty they want, whether it's just a material only or a no dollar limit, everything's included type warranty. And then there's the physical considerations. You know, where are we with the flood areas? Where are we next to other structures? geographical area, water test, all those type of things start to come into play as well. Does the same product or, or system fit all applications? I mean, that's a, a double question. There's a yes to that and there's a no to that. As an overall answer, our products, the bentonites and the polymers, would address all the different conditions. Inside of our product lines, we have different levels. We have a saltwater bentonite, uh, which is the Boltex CR that would address a site that has a little bit higher of a salt or a contamination in the soil. And then when we go even beyond that, where we have very high salt and contamination, we have a polymer product called Ultra Seal that we jump to that can address Miami, Collins Avenue, right on the Atlantic Ocean, where we have salt contents that are fairly high. So we have different levels and different types of bentonite and polymer products to address all those situations. What's done differently with a with the ultra seal in the high salt environment as opposed to just the, the standard product that you may get, say, in um, Atlanta or St. Louis or somewhere like that? Sure. 
Sure. Yeah, the, the standard bentonite on our product is 1.1 pounds per square foot. There's other manufacturers that also have an entry-level bentonite that basically addresses all your, you know, normal average salt contents and contamination contents for each site. The trick is when you get to a high salt content, that bentonite can stop swelling as much as it should. It doesn't hydrate as much as we'd like to see. So manufacturers went to a salt water bentonite. So a lot of products, you know, you jump up to that salt water grade. What we found when we started getting exposed to the European market, like United Arab Emirates, for example, some of those areas have a salt content in the 4% range, as opposed to Miami, which is a very high salt range in the 3% range. So we went ahead about 10 years ago, somewhere around 2007, and we introduced the Ultra Seal, which is a polymer-based product. So the entry-level bentonites are strictly 100% bentonite at 1.1 pound per square foot in the product. When you jump to the Ultra Seal, which is manufactured by Seco, that has roughly 85% polymer with about 15% bentonite. And the difference is the polymer hydrates and swells even in the very highest of salt contents. Interesting. So when an owner or an architect is getting into, into a project, of course, you're in there talking to them early as the, you're probably one of the first scope items that go in. How should they be doing their research, consider the possibilities, and make a good decision? Is it a good idea to get several different sources of feedback when starting a project? Sure, de definitely, by all means. You know, one of the things that, uh, that we recommend in our part of the industry is to get someone like you guys, get a waterproofing consultant involved early who's been down that road before and understands what should be used and, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, what shouldn't be taken out of a project. So, yeah, get advice from waterproofing consultants, bring in the manufacturer's rep like myself, and then also maybe call two or three top waterproofing contractors. I know that when high-rises get built with glass and Dow silicone, I know sometimes even two years before a project started, they bring in a large glass contractor to kind of get an idea of what the budgeting is going to be. And I think that's something that, that GCs and owners should take advantage of. Use the contractors that are actually doing the work. Get some feedback from them. So I think it's important as you guys Get as many people involved up front as possible and, and gather as much information as you can before you start the uh, project. Yeah, we're big advocates of involving manufacturers, of course, but also the contractors, the guys who have to build it and who are you know in the marketplace every day. And as you say, if you get all the different perspectives and everybody gets together and, and you know basically can work out the best solution for, for a particular scenario or project. Yeah, and that process also avoids some uncomfortable situations that I've personally been involved in where a contract is being awarded to a waterproofing group and the owner is under the impression that it's roughly three to four times as much money as he thought it was going to be. And the question goes back to the owner of, well, you know, where did that original number come from 16 or 18 months ago? 
Um, and there have been times where owners have said, well, I don't know, we made a couple phone calls and we plugged, you know, $3 a square foot for the waterproofing. Meanwhile, the specification has a couple of systems listed that may be in the, you know, $12 a square foot range. That's one of my, uh, I don't know, pet peeve is the word, maybe it is, that these budgets get set early during pre-construction, right. um, waterproofing and other things, and then, you know, comes project time and the budget's inadequate and the money's not there and it really causes a lot of angst and distress to try and figure out, you know, what do we do? Do we just not do it the right way? Or, or how do we, right. you know, do we steal money from somewhere else? And as you say, it, it's, it's uncomfortable and not always resulting in a good decision. Right, exactly. And we talk about the, you know, the percentage of waterproofing as a total of a project cost. For example, a condominium that someone's building uh, near the beach, uh, units may be going for three to four million or even more per unit. The total building cost is maybe $120 million. And here we are sitting with the owner and they're trying to get rid of, you know, $300,000 worth of waterproofing, which, you know, is a very important entity to a building with all the lawsuits and the liability that the architect takes on, the 558 lawsuits that I think most people who are listening to this understand what those are about. And it's just important to point that out to say, you know, you're you're taking out less than 1% of the total project cost for something that most times ends up being 96 to 98% the time of the lawsuit based on moisture mitigation, mold, health hazards, issues related to that. So I think it's important to point that out. And you can't do waterproofing after the fact like you can some other scopes of work. It's a, it's a one-shot deal. You either do it or you don't. So have you seen scenarios where owners have, I shouldn't keep blaming the owners, where projects have omitted <laughs> needed waterproofing materials, um, maybe not made good decisions? What happens then? Yeah, we've, uh, you know, worst case scenario was, uh, and, I'll, and I'll keep names out of it, but, you know, worst case scenario is the owner doesn't have a budget for the waterproofing. And I think it was in that three hundred fifty to $400,000 range. Value engineered out all the waterproofing. Fast forward a couple of months, we're in the middle of the project, and they just couldn't control the water that was coming through the concrete that was poured. Uh, they ended up having to pour a four-foot tremie slab and do the waterproofing anyway. But what that did was they lost a floor of parking, which threw off their units to parking ratio. They lost a couple of units. And I think the total cost to that project was roughly 11 to $12 million after it was all said and done. Granted, the total project was probably $120 million, so it was 10% of the project. But once again, we go back to, well, how much was the waterproofing scope if they would have just left it in and, and did that and got a decent warranty, you know, much less than $12 million. So uh, there have been instances where decisions get made, and then eight months to 10 months later, we get phone calls. Either the manufacturer gets a phone call or the architect or the consultant, such as yourself, get a phone call, hey, we need you guys out here. We've got leaks all over this basement. Um, and then the forensics start. Well, was it waterproofed? Was it inspected? And what type of system was used? And you go down that whole road of trying to figure out what happened. 
it can lead to saving a couple of dollars and then ending up spending many more dollars injecting or trying to fix those water intrusion points. Penny wise and pound foolish, once you get into the what happened phase, it's probably too late. Right. Oh, exactly. And without trying to be perceived as a pushy salesperson, I try to educate the owners and the general contractors on the decisions that they're making. You know, there have been other people that made these decisions. Here's what happened. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you, but these are scenarios, worst case scenarios that have happened. So it is a little bit of a gamble when they decide to just not do anything or waterproof half of it or roll the dice because the water table is a little bit lower over on this half of the project versus, you know, over on that half of the project, the concrete's a little lower, so we should waterproof that, but not the other half. Yeah, you know, I've seen projects where they try to piecemeal it, and I was going to say they're playing with fire, they're play actually playing with water, but um, it's scary because if you blow it, as you said, as you're describing with on that other project, it can be pretty catastrophic. Yes, can be. So when you do get asked the question about costs by owners, architects, GCs, how do you handle that? Well, I mean, that's a, a touchy situation because costs can vary immensely depending on how many mobilizations there are to a site, access to the site, how long the job is going to go on. So there's a lot of variables that affect that. But I think that a range of pricing and the way we used to do it, it's schedule values you're plugging in an estimate into each one of the scopes of the work. So, for example, if, you're, if your owner and your project team is looking at a five-year warranty on the entry-level betonite product, you know, those are usually $7 a square foot, plus or minus. Could be lower, could be higher. The market affects that as well. If waterproofing contracts are aggressively looking to get more work, the price is obviously going to be lower, you know, as it was in 2009 and in those times when there was not that work, uh, not that much work around. On the flip side, if it's very busy as it is now, the bids tend to gravitate a little bit higher. But a good, you know, a number within 10 or 12 to 15 percent of what it should be should be an easy thing for an owner and an architectural firm and a project team to have in that box. So, you know, five-year systems. Like I said, anywhere $7 plus or minus a square foot installed. And then when you get into the 10-year systems, that's plus or minus you know, $11, $12 a square foot in that range. And once again, those could be slightly higher or lower, but that's kind of exactly how I answer that question to an owner. You know, here's your range. What we do want to avoid is what we discussed before is let's say you have a specification and a project team that is heading towards a special warranty in the 10-year time and they have products that are in that $12 range, you don't want the general contractor to just pull a number out of the thin air and say, well, let's just plug $4 in there. You know, that creates those uncomfortable scenarios 18 months later where they don't have a budget for the job, but it's because they didn't do the due diligence beforehand and, and find out how much stuff should cost. You know, and that's the same for other products that I don't sell, deck coatings, perimeter sealants around windows, roofing, you know, they all have their price categories and ranges. And that should be something that a project team should get a handle on early in the process. You're just mentioning warranties. I know Setco has different warranties available with different products and different programs and whatnot. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, Warranties are important. A lot of times the project team will focus on the year. You know, is it a five-year, is it a 10-year? Roofing and plaza decks are most commonly 20-year warranties. And the year, although the year is important, it's also important to ask the next question. Okay, what type of warranty is it? What's included in the warranty? Let's run through some scenarios on what happens if we have leaks. The warranties are stepped in a way where, you know, a good, better, best scenario where most initial warranties are material only. And that basically states to the owner or the project team that if you can prove that the material is defective in and of itself, the manufacturer will participate in that warranty. The challenge with subgrade work is that now you have 16 or 20 feet of dirt or earth hardscape above that. In urban areas, you have tight property line conditions where to dig down 20 feet to fix something is really not cost effective and is not something that you can easily do. So a lot of times with subgrade waterproofing, you end up addressing the leak from the negative side, which is the interior of the building. So that warranty is, you know, it is what it is. I guess I'll just say that. The the next step is a material and labor warranty where the manufacturer will participate in covering the material and the labor cost. However, most commonly there's a sentence somewhere that says warranty is limited to the original purchase price of the material. So obviously the price of a material at X dollars a square foot doesn't include the labor to install it or the labor to remove it if you need to replace it because that can be you know, something that's $3 a square foot to buy. It can be 10 or $12 a square foot to install. So those warranties, although they are warranties, what SETCO did about 10 years ago is kind of asked the question to ourselves, what type of warranty could we offer if it was a no dollar limit, no questions asked, we'll fix the building until it's dry type warranty. And we came up with what's called a HydraShield quality assurance program. And in a nutshell, what that does is it basically gives a warranty to the owner and the project team that if there are any leaks in the building, we fix them, no questions asked, with injection technology from the interior of the building. And there's a couple things that our team put together have to happen to get that warranty, to be eligible for that warranty. And that is hiring a certified inspector and a waterproofing consultant such as GCI. There's a total of about seven or eight of them throughout the state that we have a list of. And then the second item is that we have to have a an approved applicator who's part of our HydroShield warranty program. And there's about, I would say, 15 to 18 contractors throughout Florida and the Caribbean that are approved applicators to do that work. There's a mandatory pre-con meeting that takes place prior to the start of construction. And then the waterproofing consultant inspects that installation and the backfill throughout the process of the subgrade installation. And then there's constant communication with SECO's field service unit. And it's basically a system that's put in place to inspect all the waterproofing, make sure that it's installed correctly prior to the backfill. So then when you're finally done with the project, you get that no-dollar limit warranty. When SETCO's runs no-dollar limit warranty, 
they have right, right. good confidence going into it because of the process with having everybody involved, having the independent inspections, having the technical team involved, that, <laughs> right. that it's going to have a good outcome and it's going to be a win for everybody. Yeah, most likely with not just with Setco as a manufacturer, but most manufacturers' products that are tested, they work if they're installed correctly, but it's the the penetration that was missed on a wall. It's an electrician or a plumber drilling a six-inch diameter hole through the wall and not telling anybody. It's those issues and the lack of communication with a project team. That's where those leaks, in my opinion, 99% of the time, leaks through a building come from those type of scenarios, not from just the product failing. It's usually a penetration, a missed detail, a termination bar was not done correctly, something along those lines. So with that owner hiring the independent inspector and working closely with the waterproofing contractor and Setco Field Services with constant communication, you know, we try to catch all those items before we backfill and before we finish a project up. If you do have the rogue penetration, I'll call it, that right. for some reason slips through the cracks for whatever reason, can that be fixed after the fact? Yeah, I mean, if we can get to it from the outside, that's fine. If we need to inject it or address it from the inside, we can do that as well. So Dave, let me ask you, what what's a day in the life of a manufacturer's representative in your waterproofing space? What do you do on a typical or, or I guess even atypical day? Sure. Yeah, we do a lot of different things. We have interactions with architects, general contractors, waterproofing contractors, owners, consultants. In a typical day, you may get a mixture of all those in one meeting, or you may have individual meetings you know, with an architect to discuss an upcoming project, maybe some needs that they have for you to review their specifications, or they just want to talk about uh, you know, something they have going on in a specific project that's already being done that they just want to bounce uh, an idea off of. So as we wear many different hats, um, you know, we can be down in a 30-foot hole looking at a subgrade waterproofing condition and then be, uh, you know, in an owner's office for lunch and then be doing a presentation at a CSI event later that evening. It's a constant juggling uh, of what we do. The goal of what I do personally is to become a resource to the architects and the owners and the GCs and the waterproofing contractors that use our products. As I said in the beginning, I've been doing this for roughly 20 years or so, and I know it's important for, for someone who calls up and just wants something answered, even if I don't know that question. I pride myself in the fact that I have a lot of contacts throughout the industry that I'll end up getting the answer for that person. No, a manufacturer's representative, in, in my opinion, shouldn't just be pigeonholed to his one product group because construction has so many different transitions from one scope to the next. You know, for example, what happens at the top of a wall when the waterproofing ends? Do you transition into an EFIS system, stucco system, a brick system? Are there through wall flashings? That transition point is very important to the architect because they're looking at the whole project. So I think it's important to not only understand your specific product and how that is installed and how that goes in a project, but how some of the other items in, in the scope of your work, what touches your product. 
how do those transitions work? Because that's, uh, you know, that, that's important to me. Now, so as I said, when we started, you really got your finger on the pulse, I think, and going on in, in your territory in Florida in the Caribbean, and I can personally attest that a really great resource for people who need to get some good quality advice with regards to the various waterproofing elements. I appreciate that. So if somebody wants to learn more about SETCO or get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? I've got a number of ways. Anybody is welcome to call me on my cell phone, and I'll give that number. That's 407 407- Four five zero two four two nine. Also, our website is www.seco.com, and then I've also got an email. It's david.gelback at mineralstech.com, and my last name is G E H L B A C H, and the minerals tech is basically how it sounds, and T E C H at the end. Great. So I know that it was a really good topic that we had today, and I really appreciate all the wisdom that you imparted with us. I know this is a big concern and hot button with our customers. It's really come from something that was, I would say, I was going to say obscure, but something that really wasn't in the forefront, and now it's really out there, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of these projects. So I I know there's going to be a lot of interest and And thank you very much for coming on today. It was a pleasure. As I said, I appreciate the invite and happy to join you. Great. So I'd like to remind everybody that we have a Everything Building Envelope newsletter. And if you would like to get on the list and receive that, all you need to do is text the word Building Envelope, in all one word, Building Envelope, to 22828. Again, text the word Building Envelope to 22828. Thank you everyone for listening. It was a really interesting topic again. And thank you again, Dave. You're welcome. And until next time, this is Paul Beer saying so long. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.